Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. And I'm just eagerly waiting for the day that they announce the long-awaited crossover. Yes, boys, it's Papa John's versus Domino's, the rise of Big Papa. (laughs) And don't worry, everyone, we're still working on the rights to Pizza Hut. I mean, I'm Alex. (laughs) Check your pings, nerds. It's Britain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would have been real good if Skype had dropped right then. Made me real happy. <laughs> Almost as happy as this movie made me. <laughs> and what movie is that, Britain? Oh wait, that's my job. Uh, this week we're talking about Godzilla from 2014, directed by Gareth Edwards. Um, it has, let's see, I have the score somewhere on here. It has a 76% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 66% audience hmm. score. And this is the, the epic beginning to our, our, our monster verse, I guess, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which does not include Pacific Rim. No, no. See, that's where they messed up. I agree. Britain, what is your best thing and your worst thing about Godzilla Thank God it's not the Roland Emmerich one. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, my worst thing is going to be the gulf between me and my two friends here about this movie. <laughs> no, um, yeah. Well, uh, well, I would say uh, wide river between the yes, two of yes. us and then gulf between you and Alex. True. And maybe we can try to ford Brody that river. <laughs> I, uh, my, um, Okay, I'm going to say that my... Okay, preface is I really like this movie. I saw it in theaters twice, and it makes me really happy. Much like Gareth Edwards' other... Well, he has three features. Other big feature, Rogue One. Mm -hmm. I recognize its issues, some of which I agree with, some of which I don't. But I recognize the issues are there, but it still just like works on me in a lot of ways. I haven't watched Rogue Rogue One in a minute, so I'm not sure if it still will. Um But with this one, I I think my best thing about it is really just the, the, just the visual, just visual is my best thing. Um, By which I mean, I mean, I think the effects are really great. I love the Godzilla design. Um, I love looking at a lot of these actors, just seeing them on screen, even if they don't get to do enough or, or don't get to dig in very much. Like Ken Watanabe and David Strathairn and Elizabeth Mm -hmm. Olsen are like, three of my favorite actors and the fact that they're all in a Godzilla movie just makes me happy. Um, and the thing that I think stuck out to me the most this time around was just, I really loved the cinematography. I thought it was so beautiful that, uh, and Gareth Edwards has, I felt this way about Rogue One too. He has a great sense of scale. He's, he's so good at the way he frames things to show how huge these monsters are, the, the, the breadth of the damage they've done. And I really like that. And I like that he did that in, in Rogue One with the Star Destroyer and everything. But I, I mean, literally just, I think in every scene, there was some image that I thought was just really beautiful or uh, framed really nicely. Mm-hmm. A lot of depth. He, There's a lot of muted colors that still feel vivid and, and uh, attractive. There's a great shot during the final confrontation where there's all this smoke and it, everything's gray and black. But there are these red lanterns hanging, and you see a lot of it. I like actually just behind the the lanterns, but those lanterns pop so well, without feeling like 
um, out of con- uh, not out of context, but like I don't know, they, they they pop in a really exciting way for me. And I mean, really, I just thought it was a beautiful looking movie. And I throughout the whole thing, I was just really impressed with how it was directed in terms of like camera and camera placement and how it looked and the effects in Godzilla and um yeah it i it, all of that just elated me i think my worst thing is i mean i, I probably it's what everybody would say which is why is godzilla only on screen for like 15 to 20 minutes of the whole movie um but i'm going to instead go with this movie feels i, I didn't like that how much of the movie was about Americans, which like, Mm. I know this is the American version of Godzilla, but this is not, Oh, Americans made this. We only have one Japanese character in Kim Watanabe, who I think uh, Tyler, you'd mentioned this in our little group chat that he very easily could have been the lead. And I think instantly the movie becomes more interesting. I understand that I'm I'm not asking this to be a Japanese movie, but it, it, it kind of stuck out to me. I was like, this is a Japanese character that comes from a, distinctly Japanese beginning in Godzilla's origins and the reason that they made the first movie in the first place that to now just be making it about a bunch of Americans feels is understandable and does it more gracefully than in the 98 Godzilla. Well, that's actually what I was going to say is I think it invites that criticism because it starts in Japan. Like we, we get some action in Japan, but it's about, Brian Cranston in Japan and right. we carry that back over to America whereas at least with the at least I don't I don't want to put any praise towards the 1998 Godzilla but I will say the 1998 Godzilla is just like yeah this is taking place in America in the New York right. and that's right. just that's just what we're doing um, it's so far removed from the source material that you can't critique right. it on that level. Like it's just sure. not sure uh, yeah I think if they I think they could have done something like that and still explored that in an interesting way um, so I don't know yeah, in a way that almost makes you wonder is that stuff like tokenizing. To be yeah. Like, well, it's a Japanese thing, so we need a Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. Which I, I don't want to. I don't think the movie is that cynical or that or that reductive. But I, right. mean, I think, like you said, I think it does kind of invite that criticism. Um, yeah, there's a lot to for me to say, but those are my my sort of uh, prime prim, prim, primal my primal thoughts, primal thoughts on Cinemax at midnight. What do you guys have, <laughs> Britton? Can I can I? Can I try and make you sad real quick? Because I, ju- I feel like you're going to have a, a strong opinion on this if I offer this like hypothetical up to you. Who who would you sure. say your favorite like Asian actress is? Do you do you have anyone in particular that comes to mind? Ooh, um, I'm going to say uh, Shu Chi. Uh, I believe she's Taiwanese. Uh, great great actress from I, movies like Beautiful Life and. I guess Stranger I shouldn't say Asian actress. I should say Japanese specifically. Japanese. Sorry. Okay. In that case, maybe ooh. Either Haruka Ayase from a couple of Kari Daz movies, well, no, just one, or Sakura Ando uh, from Shoplifters. So what What if this movie instead, Brian Cranston is still the father of our protagonist with a Japanese woman and their daughter is one of those actresses? Oh, what, man. What, what, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, I think... And I'll talk about this with my worst thing. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities that are that feel strange and feel like I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. Sure, sure. 
I can actually. Uh, as long I as somebody it, is skydiving out of a plane into what appears to just be hell, <laughs> we're good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't care who it is. Could be Brian Cranston. Could, 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 could be anyone. Could be Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. <laughs> Whoever it is. <laughs> I guess. I guess I can go ahead and do my worst thing. That was your best yeah. and worst thing, right, Brian? Yes. Um, I will go ahead and lead into that. Then I feel like I, my worst thing is the first third of this script because I don't think it sets up the rest of the movie for success. Um, and Alex, I know that you have very different opinions on this, but I'll, I, I, I want to get into more. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was trying to think about how to, cause I, I, I don't love the first third, but I think it, it's got one specific element. Sure. That I liked more sure. than the rest of the movie. Um, <laughs> I think it feels like this movie has a ton of artifacts from old drafts. Uh, old scripts i i think that the beginning of this we get brian cranston he's in japan working at an atomic research facility power plant thing um uh he's there trying to tell everyone they need to shut down the plant uh coincidentally at that exact same time uh the plant something happens at the plant and because as we learn later learn one of the the, the mutos the mutos the Muto, muties yeah. those darn muties <laughs> Those darn new muties. Um, one of them is uh, burrowing towards the the power facility, uh, and his wife dies. Uh, and then we jump fifteen years later, and immediately I resist that because we, we don't know hardly anything about these characters. And the, you know, it's it's one thing if you, I don't know, I I, I feel like a lot of the time that just doesn't work very well if you're trying to establish a movie i, I complain about this right. a lot with um bvs as well uh batman versus superman because that movie has a quick time jump when you could use the beginning of the movie to organically lead into the rest of the movie um and this movie i think very easily you could just have that time jump not happen and just like oh no the power plant's been attacked the mudo is there uh, it's out there. Start the movie. Like I, I think you could save so much time. You can make it s- s- flow so much more smoothly. Um, and instead, we spend like a decent amount of time with Brian Cranston. We get to know him for maybe a couple scenes. We jump away. We get to know a little bit about Aaron Taylor Johnson. We jump back to Japan because he's coming back to see his father, who is now crazy and obsessed with this thing that killed his wife. And uh, they like end up having to go back into the nuclear facility to investigate what happened. And then finally, like a third of the way into the movie, we get the Muto and then Brian Cranston dies. And like, I, I just don't think any of that is, I think so much of that is not necessary and doesn't effectively set anything up for us. Like there's some decent suspense within that. I think the, the scene to scene, it's not bad, but I think structurally it's just such a weird way to like, and kind of confusing way to start this off where it just doesn't seem like the movie is ready to really just go. Uh, and I was struggling with that because even though, again, I was enjoying seeing the scene, I, I think it is shot really well. Um, I, yeah, it, it just was not like making sense to me that this is the approach they took that Brian Cranston dies. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, I, I did not understand how we ended up here. And I really do think that there are, several previous drafts of this that probably that was just like, okay, well yeah, we have the time jump. Um, and that was just a th- an idea that they kept carrying over 
And I think that that's how I felt about a lot of the beginning of this until we really get into that second act, like the train sequence with Aaron Taylor Johnson. I think that's where the movie starts to smooth out a little bit more for me. But that beginning, I just I don't understand why that's where they started. I think it eats up into time that we could be using to do more setup for Godzilla. I mean, you could do something where uh, you start off the movie with Godzilla attacking a, an, an aircraft carrier in the Pacific and during like right after World War Two. And then you do a big time jump and, and maybe that's related somehow. Maybe sure. uh, there's a guy there and then he ends up being Aaron Taylor Johnson's grandfather, something like that. Yeah. That gets us closer to the action more quickly and gets us like learning more about Godzilla. I I, and I don't know. I, I think that there's a lot of mistakes and missed opportunities there where they just don't know how to start the movie. Um, My best thing I think I am going to go with basically the same thing Britain said, but uh, change the wording slightly and say that it's specifically um, the use of, or it's, it's the amount of amazing shots in this movie, like single shots. Um, Yeah. Because the movie does, like you said, Britain does scale really, really well. Gareth Edwards does really good with that. We need to talk about him because I don't know what he's up to and it makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's just struggling with Hollywood politics or, or what, or if he's maybe, maybe he's not a good director to work with. I don't know, but I hope that's not the case. Um, But the movie has so many, like the first one that really comes to mind is um, there is the sequence that's set in an airport. Like we're, we're watching from the inside of an airport as uh, the Mudo throws a, uh, helicopter down and it explodes yeah. and it, it blows up some more helicopters and, and airplanes and stuff on the on the hangar and then as that's happening Godzilla's foot so- suddenly just swings into view and stomps down it's like what mm-hmm. um, and it's yeah it looks gorgeous it's amazing yeah um, there there is several shots like that uh, obviously the, uh, the the money shot of Godzilla shooting fire down one of the one of the, the big the big monsters uh, yep. throats quite good um yep. yeah i i have described that shot the way that i've described bumblebee the the <laughs> listeners of this podcast recognize where a robot wraps the chain around other robot yanks on the chain and the robot explodes yes but i'm like he grabs a mudo pries open his jaws and blows radioactive breath down its throat until it torches the throat away and he just throws the head <laughs> to the side it's awesome yeah. Um, and and uh, Alex mentioned the the skydiving mm-hmm. when they're jumping down trailing this red smoke and it, there's several different shots where you just see the red smoke at different stages of the fall mm-hmm. and each one is so dynamic and beautiful and interesting they use flares really beautifully to like light up Godzilla like it's just so yeah absolutely yeah there's I distinctly remember watching the trailer for this the first time and seeing just that sequence in it and thinking to myself is this going to be the best movie ever made <laughs> just for some reason that that image struck a chord with me and the, oh, the, it's just really really speaking cool of chords the music in the background is really good like this haunting like chanting it's good stuff yeah um there's a lot of stuff with godzilla um like climbing up on the san francisco the golden gate bridge um mm-hmm. and or not climbing up but like the there's there's a big sequence there 
where he's getting up there. I think he does ultimately kill a lot of people by stomping <laughs> through the bridge when there are a bunch of buses carrying critically injured patients. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> I know it's because the humans are shooting at him and that's they've, right. they've aggravated him. But... Um, before that, there's a there's a cool sequence of a ton of birds flying up because like he's he's right arriving and all the seagulls are fleeing because they sense his presence. Um, there's lots of great details and shots and stuff like the tension built through the visuals in this movie is very, very good. Yes. Um, in a lot of places, I did struggle with the third act because it was hard to see what was happening a lot of the time. And I don't know if either of you have the same experience. I know. I have historically in the past struggled with HBO Max and infamously a lot of people had problems with uh, The Long Night Game of Thrones Season 8 Episode 2 because um, obviously everyone was watching that through HBO and HBO. It definitely, as someone who owns the, the, the Blu-ray box set of the whole series, um, I can confirm that it definitely looks better on Blu-ray than it does through HBO Max and I think I had a similar problem here. Um, I don't know if you guys ran into that. But Mine I, looked fine, there, but there I is, also, yeah, I don't It was know. very messy at times. I, I, I couldn't tell because I remember it being very dark in the theater when mm-hmm. I saw it. So I, I, I don't I don't know if I've seen, quote-unquote, the ideal version of, of the movie or not. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just a matter of, like, my TV projected it really clearly or something. But, yeah, it looked, it looked fine to me. Right. I think, I know that, like, HBO Max has has come under fire before for not being sure. uh, as high quality as it can be. So that might that might be the only problem. So I'm not going to necessarily sit on that and, and call that a flaw, flaw with the movie. <laughs> I do kind of wish because after the... <laughs> no, I just, I just thought that Christopher Nolan's not upset at, at them like doing it because it's going to a streaming service. He, he would be fine if it was like Netflix mm-hmm. or Hulu or whatever, send, sending all these movies straight from the theater. He's like... No, you got to get the quality right. HBO Max plays everything at 480p. <laughs> it's pitch bl- You can't tell what's going on. I refuse. <laughs> the, my movies are already confusing enough. They have to be able to see what's happening. Um, I like Tenet. Uh, <laughs> but after the sequence with all the soldiers dropping down and paratrooping... Um, I did notice that it went from this muted but still very clear uh, daylight, you know, pale blue kind of a I guess it's it's supposed to be stormy uh, maybe later in the day, but you could still very clearly see what's going on. Um, and then it seems like there was a very quick shift after that to make things darker. Um and I was kind of sad because I was like, it was so crisp and neat before. And now it's right. now it's messier and darker. It is what it is. I don't know. Um, oh, that was my Alex. best thing. <laughs> and I turned it <laughs> complaining. Continue. Um, I, I, I don't I don't want to be the downer here because this is one of the movies like when I'm just looking at everything that we've covered where I when I'm going to the movie, I'm like, I want to love this. Mm-hmm. Right. I want this to be really, really good. Um, and I had only seen it once in the theater, and I, I my opinion really hasn't changed since then. Um, similar to King Kong, where all of us liked <laughs> different pieces of the movie. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll 
preface this by just saying, like, once again, I'm not big into monster movies in general. Right. Um, I just have a hard time getting into them without... Basically, if the focus is on the human characters and the human characters are well fleshed out and not actually compelling, then that's when I get into a, a monster movie like Cloverfield, I think, is the perfect example, or even the Peter Jackson King Kong. Um, so that's, that's once again, that's kind of where I'm coming at this. So when I say mean things about the movie, uh, it's just because it's not, not made for me. <laughs> right. Um, my best thing is going to be Brian Cranston. Um, he's the most compelling part of the entire movie for me. And it's unfortunate that he gets wasted, um, and, and ki- killed off about a third of the way through. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, it's not just the performance. It's also the character yeah. and the concept for the character is quite compelling with his wife dying from this, this tragic incident that's caused by the monsters. And he's, it's a whole conspiracy where he's trying to figure out what's going on. And he keeps having to try and go back to Japan to determine what happened and what killed his wife. All of that's really compelling. And Tyler, to your point, I think it does feel like a bunch of rewrites because like the way he's killed off and just like a lot of the plot threads from mm-hmm. that opening third are just dropped. Like everything involving his wife and, and kind of Aaron Taylor Johnson's relationship to both of them is just kind of dropped. Yeah. Like his dad is not mentioned for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And that's really, really unfortunate. Um, but yeah, Brian Cranston, I mean, just go watch the trailer again, listen to him, his little rant where he's like, you're hiding something like all oh, that's great. Um, and yeah, I do wish it was kind of him and Ken Watanabe as like a buddy cop movie <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how to take care of Godzilla. And they're just in science labs the whole movie. Like, I'd be fine with that. Um, that leads into my worst thing, because it's it's not necessarily Aaron Taylor Johnson. Um, because like I, he is a good actor. I like him in other movies when he has to use an American accent like like kick ass. Um but he he's not he's not right for this part and this part is boring. Yeah. Um yeah. Ford is the most generic type of of protagonist where where like he he's just there's there's interesting characters surrounding him but he's the yeah. guy that actually has to like carry everything forward and it's just it, it he's not interesting in the slightest. Um and I don't know if Gareth Edwards just has issues dealing with not not inexperienced actors but like younger actors because i i feel like the highlight performances in at least this and rogue one are the older more experienced actors because mm-hmm. like this is ken wananabe and and uh brian cranston and in rogue one it's like mads mickelson uh Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, yeah, like a lot of the older folks overshadow the younger cast. Yeah. So I, I I don't I don't know if there's there's something to that. Um but yeah, Ford is just I I had no interest in his character and that's that's yeah. really unfortunate cuz so much of the movie is focused around him and the movie just kind of forces him into the plot where it's just like he conveniently ends up at all these spots where the monsters are. Yeah. Um I, I found all of that a bit ridiculous considering how serious the movie was trying to take itself and I don't know, make Elizabeth Olsen the main character, like do something else. Um, and it didn't help that yes, Aaron Taylor Johnson's like just going for this bland, like nasally American accent. And it's, it just doesn't 
even match up with like soldier man protagonists. Like I'm a tough guy. Um, like none of it worked for me. And that's really unfortunate. Um, because like I said, if I have the human elements that kind of grounds the movie and I'm able to get invested in that, then I'm able to enjoy all the monster punching and all the destruction. Um, but since I didn't have that for two thirds of this movie, I didn't care. And yeah, Godzilla punching monsters and, and breathing fire is cool, but I, I need a story that I, I care about to go along with it. Yeah. You you mentioned Cloverfield. You meant Cloverfield Paradox, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah, okay. that one. I figured, yeah. <laughs> I've seen the I've seen the bread of the Cloverfield 10, which I haven't seen 10 Cloverfield Lane yet, which I, I was going to say theoretically the best. You, I thought you were talking about the infamous monster movie 10 Cloverfield Lane. Uh it's all about all about them kaiju. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I do agree and I feel like Ford is so he comes off like just so detached and almost like a jerk in in a lot of scenes or he just kind of like either bland or just kind of like sour. I yeah. don't know. There's, yeah. there's nothing really I, like I to didn't, him. I didn't really have, yeah, I didn't have like a problem with Aaron Taylor Johnson, but it, just the characters. And I think that again goes back to he's splitting time with Brian Cranston, splitting time with Elizabeth Olsen, splitting yeah. time with Ken Watanabe, Watanabe. Okay, uh, he's splitting time with Godzilla, he's splitting time with one of the Mudos, he's splitting time with the other. Like, there's so many disparate elements the movie's trying to juggle, and it's not combining them effectively in, at right. most points. It's it's very much, okay, we've got this over here, now we got to go look at this over here, now we got to go look at this over here. Yeah, It doesn't feel like it's ever all firing on all cil- cylinders with everything meeting up and running together. Yeah. I, um... That that leads me into something I I noticed watching this. So so, I talked about in the ninety eight Godzilla episode how that was a very like pre nine eleven movie where they were like, we're not making a political commentary about the American military, but it's clearly more acceptable for mm-hmm. us to let them be the butt of the joke occasionally. Like, it's it's not going to be this whole big deal if we like portray some of the soldiers as buffoons, um, right? And this is a very post nine eleven where our main character is a soldier and he's married to a nurse and he's coming <laughs> home from the front and there's probably a dog and now he has a son and he's a he's a he's a good old american boy and his no, wife britain, is his sister had... wait no sorry <laughs> right. britain if we had a dog that would be too roland emmerich we're trying it's to true. stay away that's from true. that that's true the dog in this movie does survive which is great i love <laughs> that they set that up and then like nope he totally got i away. think there, there are multiple dogs that survive in this movie aren't there i think so yeah but like this one, they're very clearly about like, and the American military is there and it's serious. And even when there's like a question about what should they or shouldn't they, it's not about American uh, incompetence. And so watching this, I was like, did the main guy have to be a soldier? Like, yeah, on on, on the on paper, I like the pitch of a monster movie where the main characters are a journalist and a scientist. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting way to approach. Obviously, the Roland Emmerich movie doesn't really succeed with that. But the idea of we're not casting generic action people, generic action characters, we're going to get like comedy and character actors to play journalists and scientists, and they're the ones who are dealing with the monster. I think that's an interesting angle. And this is much more sort of traditional, straightforward, which is which is fine. I don't necessarily think it's a flaw. And even though Aaron Taylor Johnson is forced into the plot, I understand why, like, well, he's a soldier, so I understand why he ends up on this mission. 
you know, okay, like he's a lieutenant, and so that's he would, and he's got he's got to be a bomb disposal expert, mm-hmm. right? He would conveniently <laughs> have like, okay, I get it, I, I all right, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I thought that was an interesting thing, just because we watched the '98 one so recently. They're like, oh, these movies are. And also the 98 one was trying to be like a big summer movie. It's got jokes. It's got romance. It's got, And this is trying to get be much more of a, there is an awe and a dread to what's happening. And right. we are taking it more, more seriously. There are still fun moments. Like a lot of the Godzilla Mudo fight is, I think, intended to be fun. Sure. Um, but, uh, and there are a couple of moments where I think uh, Gareth Edwards was like, oh, this will be kind of funny. Like when the people at the casino are like all spending their winnings and having a great time and you mm-hmm. see the, the news report that there's a Mudo nearby and then all the power goes out and the Mudo like steps through the ceiling. Like I thought that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I uh, I think part of the problem with Ford's character is that he doesn't have any relationships with any of the characters he interacts with after his father dies. Yeah, sure. Like, he doesn't build a relationship with Ken Watanabe or, or David Strathairn or, or like any of the soldiers because they all die immediately. Uh, Morales, he... I believe, is his new best friend. <laughs> Sergeant Morales. <laughs> but but just the fact that like he keeps like he'll go into an action scene. Yeah. He interacts with some people. Oh, monsters show up and then they leave. And then he doesn't inter- interact with those people again. Like the whole scene where he's he's like trying to help the kid find find his parents and he gives him the little uh toy soldier to help calm him down yeah which did we have a setup scene where he picks that up at his childhood home because that would have been nice and i don't remember seeing it i don't remember that i'm not i'm not sure maybe i think he stole it from his son (laughs) (laughs) but like i thought that was that was that could have been a really nice scene but it's just kind of dropped and i'm like is that are we trying to establish character with that scene or is it purely like tension building? Like what, right. are, what are we doing? And there were just so many instances where Aaron Taylor Johnson would like regroup with like our, our our military and scientist characters to figure out, Oh, what's the next step. And I'd be like, how is nobody commenting of like, Oh, you just keep showing up. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, are you in these mudos and cahoots? <laughs> Yeah, um, I am, it's very possible that some producer was watching the dailies and was like, nah, give put a kid in there, make him be sweet to the kid, then everybody <laughs> will be all, all hot for him. <laughs> and that producer was Roland Emmerich, what? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. He was right. No. Um, <laughs> how about that, uh, that Godzilla design? Love it. I think it looks great. I think it's it's not a Jurassic Park ripoff, yeah, so I'm good. I think uh, <laughs> I think it's pretty good stuff. I, uh, I think especially it's a great way the whiplash. Build, oh, good. After the '98 one, like going yeah. from that to this, it's like, oh, right, that's I what he can look a, like. It's a great update, quote unquote, of the original mm-hmm. design, and even like the original design changed throughout the movies. You know, he got his eyes got a little less googly. Um, sure, he sure. got a little. His his head and his neck got a little leaner because Godzilla stopped needing to just be a guy in a suit walking around, and yeah. so as that, so they were able to kind of adjust the design for him. Yeah, I think he looks terrific. Um, I like that he looks old. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and one of the things I like about this movie is that it it does kind of set up like, okay, Godzilla's back, but there are other monsters and they've 
they're like hidden and they're, they're ancient monsters. It's this whole, rather than trying to go, well, he was created by nuclear power. It's like nuclear power woke him up and they feed on it. And that's, that's yeah. what, what it is. And by having the Mudos who are brand new to the, the canon, we'll talk about this in King of the Monsters, what monsters they did and didn't get the rights to clearly. Um, but cause, cause like Godzilla and King Kong really have nothing to do with each other. <laughs> like no. King Kong was just like, a creature feature from the thirties and Godzilla is an allegory on nuclear war. And then eventually people were like, Hey, they're both big. We could make them fight each other. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll do that. Which was um, a good instinct. Oh, definitely. But, uh, and, and you know, Godzilla at that point had already fought. Well, maybe just in Garrus, but, um, I, I, I kind of like that they have established, like he's been around for centuries, if not millennia. And, he looks old, kind of like how he talked about the scarring and on King Kong in the last one. Like mm-hmm. this Godzilla has seen some stuff and I like that he's chunky again. Mm-hmm. That was really good. And one of the things that I really loved about that is this movie pays so much attention to the impact of the monsters being wherever they are. Yes. That like, oh, Godzilla stepping somewhere, there's reverberations of that. And the Mudos turning around like that knocks a building over. That, right. that there's the the previous one, it was all about like, well, he can hide and they can't yeah. find him in a city. Like it was crazy. And this is very like, you know exactly where Godzilla is. You know how big he is and everything he does causes it, it makes it, it rises the tension and it raises the tension and it makes everything more um, uh, scary in a way. Because you're like literally anytime he moves, people can die. Yeah. <laughs> like this is a very unstable situation, which I like. Something they also raise uh, to a pretty to a to a a very high temperature hint hint in King of the Monsters, uh, which I'm excited to talk about. Every time Godzilla showed up in the third act, out of all the smoke and and fire, that was mm-hmm. that was pretty pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. the, the bit where um, I don't know, maybe it's after he's been knocked down or whatever, but you see like his tail, and then you yeah. see all the 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 blue mm-hmm. like it starts to light up the back of his spine mm-hmm. i was like oh you thought about it <laughs> in, in pretty the, neat yeah uh in the theater i had forgotten that he has radioactive breath i was so like oh he's big and he's punching the mudos and he's biting them on the throat and then his spine started lighting up and i was like convulsing i was like he's gonna use the radioactive breath and then he does mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so good oh yeah, man how, i don't know how, how king kong's gonna stand feel, up to that how, how did we feel about his screen time in the movie because you know for me coming at, at this from my perspective didn't really bother me particularly because of the way he's used mm-hmm. where where kid watanabe starts starts getting into the lore and i'm not quite sure how he knows everything that he knows but it's fine um his company's been researching this for a long time um but uh, you know, he talks about like, oh, Godzilla's like the equalizer. He he yeah. he shows up to help balance things. So I, I I I don't know. With that reasoning, I was like, okay, it makes sense that he would have limited screen time. He just shows up, he punches the monsters, and then he leaves. It's mm-hmm. fine. Tyler, you go first, and then I'll I'll say. Yeah, I mean, I think I would have enjoyed a little bit more just because we see the Mudos so much. It would have been nice yeah. if there was a. I I would have liked a little bit more. Again, going back to how the final battles, there's there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of smoke. Um, I would have liked a little bit more 
clear shots of him fighting a thing. Sure. Uh, just straight up. Uh, and I know that that's like there is artistic reason for them to shroud it so much and like hold off. But I I don't know, aside from the radioactive breath stuff, which is very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know that there's really like a great money shot of Godzilla doing a thing. Um, sure. Beyond those, like, you know, throwing one down or punching one or something like it, it, there is so much smokiness and darkness that I, I, I would have liked a little bit more. Um, yeah. in that regard, uh, just cause I do love me. I do love me some big monsters beating each other up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think there's some good ones of him like roaring, mm-hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, presenting. I, I, I'm ultimately okay with it. I, this is one of those things I totally understand anybody who's like, he's not in it enough. And I, I get it. And that is not a problem for the rest of this franchise to my understanding, at least of, of this group of movies. But sure. he, I think the movie does one fake out too many because there's a couple of scenes, like when he first shows up at the airport and they do that great shot where they scale up from his feet all the way to his head and then he bellows and they put in the like higher pitched roar, which is great. And then they cut away to a child. And I was like, that's kind of funny <laughs> that you just faked this out like that. But then they do it the first time. Like you later see the footage of him fighting a Mudo on a TV in the background and there's one where I think Elizabeth Olsen is hiding underground and the doors mm-hmm. close on him. So I want to say there's a third one. And I feel like there was maybe one too many where I was like, okay, but now you need to actually show us Godzilla. I could be remembering wrong, but it felt like they went, we're going to fake you out three times. And the fourth time, we're just going to go for it. When I think it should have been two fake outs. And then on the third one, they go for maybe it. Maybe so. Um, just because like, and I don't know, I, I, the, the Jaws rule of hold off until the, the timing is right, I think is, is a very good rule to go by, but you can, you can overdo it. And I think this movie steps just over that line. Not, not yeah. so much that I can't like the movie. And I think it kind of made it okay for me is that I think there's, there seemed to me to be a lot of love for Godzilla. It seemed to, to Gareth Edwards seemed to be like, but do you, do you get it? Like that's <laughs> Godzilla, which I like. And I, I, I mentioned this in the King Kong episode with like the T-Rex fight. I like when I can feel the director is really excited to show us the thing he's showing us. Del Toro does that beautifully. Jackson does that beautifully. And I think there's a a dose of that with Edwards in this one where he's like, I mean, I think there's like Ryan Johnson doing that in star Wars. Like Mm -hmm. there's a sense of love for like what, what you are showing. And so I I guess for me, it felt like, okay, if I'm waiting a while for something that feels satisfying, I'm okay with that. But yeah, I mean, if if I'm just looking at the percentages, I do wish Godzilla were in it a little bit more, uh, because I just get more time with my very big friend. Um, but I also think that the Mudos kind of help slake that thirst a little bit, because you do get plenty of them stomping around and screaming and nuzzling each other, and so that that <laughs> still was like, okay, you're not you're not fully scratching the itch, but you're like rubbing it a little bit. You're like, don't worry, we know it's there. Here's some big Mudos. I guess going along with that, Britton, I was going to ask like how you felt about not just like the design changes from from the uh, 98 Godzilla, um, but also the fact that Godzilla is not an out and out antagonist in mm-hmm. this one. Um, yeah, because that seemed to just make a lot more sense. Yeah. The antagonist or the, the new the new thing? 
I mean, he he's an antagonist in the the Roland Emmerich one, and he's not here. He's more like an anti-hero. Right, right. But like, which which did you say makes more sense? This one. Yeah, I I agree. I, the one that's yeah. not the Roland Emmerich <laughs> film. I, I figured, but I wanted to clarify. <laughs> I I do think that this works a lot better with like what Godzilla is now. Um, initially for him to be an antagonistic force, I think works because he is, a me- I've said it a billion times now, he's a metaphor for the nuclear bombs. So for him to be an antagonistic force in that sense. Wait, Britain, works. say that again? <laughs> Fantastic credits. Godzilla 3, colon, a metaphor for nuclear bombs. <laughs> but So I think that now that he's just this like, I, I think that was this movie's way of looking at it and going, like, you know, he's, he's kind of been everything. He's defended the planet from monster x which is king Ghidorah, and he's also been like the thing mothra had to protect us from like he's been so many different things why don't we just kind of split it down the middle and say look he's been here from the beginning and he's just here to keep things level mm-hmm. um i think that really works you know godzilla is a as a character is kind of an odd concept to me um but or sort of a hard sort of nebulous concept but i i think that 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 explanation worked really well for me and i think it suits the next movie next godzilla movie really well and i'll be interested to see kind of how that works in godzilla versus kong how they kind of implement that right with kong what the setup is for that um since again they don't really have a reason to run into each other right. um and it, at this point they were they trying to build the the shared universe at this point or was that okay we're doing a king kong movie let's build this my 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 what i the impression that i have and this may just be conjecture is that maybe they were hoping to do it but they wanted to see how this one did so they were like if this is the only one it works like right he said that's the smart way to do it yeah and then it's like oh but it, it, like it made enough money we could do another kong one let's do it let's 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 get kong in there and let's start building this thing and i think there was even a point where we weren't sure if they were going to get to keep going because i think it was maybe king of the monsters wasn't a bit maybe yeah. kind of disappointed king of the monsters didn't perform critically or financially as well as they wanted and they actually had to i think they delayed i think so uh, yeah. godzilla versus kong yeah i mean and then COVID hit and delayed everything so yeah. it's fine <laughs> And now it's the only movie making money. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I think uh, I think that was the idea. Was like we would love to do this. Let's see. <laughs> sure. Um, and likewise, or, or maybe they were also going to do that with Skull Island because Skull Island similarly also stands as its own. Hey, here's a different way to do the King Kong thing. <laughs> Let's just focus only on that part of the movie. And it's really the only. It's the after credit scene that that is like yeah okay. that kind of links it all together. I maybe maybe a good metaphor is Iron Man and Incredible Hulk. Sure, um, where it's like let's just do this and then we'll kind of <laughs> we'll kind of see what happens, right? Um, and then I think there is something frozen in ice later, so maybe this is analogous to the to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What do you think, guys? Is Godzilla say, Iron Man? Maybe this is analogous to uh, Nuclear War. <laughs> well, that. That's one thing I'm curious about as we proceed with these films, because your other cinematic universes, it's all it's it's been about we've got this group of characters that we're going to be combining. Yeah. It's a team that we're building or, you know, what whatever it might be. The the Universal Monsters <laughs> that right. got one movie off the ground and then <laughs> another one movie off the ground and then <laughs> called it quits. 
and then they made Invisible Man, which is solid. Um, yeah. But, uh, like, this is just weird. Like, I, I'm i curious where they go after Godzilla versus Kong. And, of course, you know, we haven't seen the movie, but it, it's just, like, is is every movie after that, like, they're best friends and they're just, like, back-to-back fighting <laughs> off other monsters? Yeah, Do I we don't know. then throw in Pacific Rim? Like, what what's the deal here? And, and also, because I have... Which is something we'll, of course, get to questions about the ending of King of the Monsters and whether that will influence things sure. in Godzilla versus Kong, which made me get very excited. And then I went, Britain, hang on, hang on, just focus on the big ape and the big lizard. Don't. <laughs> don't get carried away. Um, but uh, but there yeah. are sequels. They will come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel bad because like I, watching the movie, I was like, there's so much like the money is on screen, yeah. like every shot, like Gareth Edwards, like he, he, he thoroughly, it feels like he thoroughly thinks this out before he shoots it. Um, but it's just, I mean, it comes down to if, if your prote- protagonist and your overall story isn't compelling, I, I like it's, it's not gonna, it's not yeah. gonna help. Like the fact that we get to the end and it's like we're trying to nuke them with this bomb and then it ends up not working at all. So then we just have to like push the bomb away (laughs) is, is kind of silly. Yeah. And the fact that they show up to all of the, the Muto spores or eggs that are, Mm -hmm. are are growing and there's not a conversation about trying to destroy them. Aaron Taylor Johnson has to wait for all the soldiers to leave and then try and destroy it himself. Using, or did I miss something? Sewage? I think. Yeah, I couldn't quite understand how he triggered that explosion. Because it's a oh, uh, big explosion. Yeah. Well, he sets off a, a, the... There's a big uh, truck with a, uh, a gasoline tank. That. Okay. And he, he, he opens that. A, okay, I thought gotcha, he like gotcha, kicked gotcha. open a sewer pipe or something, and I was very confused. No, no, no. no. I mean, I don't know what it exactly sets it off. There's, there's it like, just like, runs into a fire. Yeah, there's, it does show a little fire, like... Yeah, sitting in above as the but, oil raises. Okay. But I, I, I didn't really understand why he didn't go. Well, hold on, guys, we got to destroy these right here. Right. Let's do this. Don't, yeah. don't. I think they might say something about how there's no time. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, or maybe I'm just thinking of them trying to open the bomb up. I don't know. It is strange. It's just it's be like, done. hey, we're completely useless fighting the big monsters. Maybe we can leave it's, two of you here to yeah, take care it's of us while we go push the bomb out. It's definitely <laughs> an afterthought. That could be just like not in the movie. <laughs> and yeah. I don't um, know and- if I'm happy or sad that there's not a post credit scene where we pan slowly <laughs> over all that wreckage. And then there's one little egg and one little cute little muto. One little cuto. Yeah, uh, I I did like... And then it cuts to a terrible rock cover of a with a Led Zeppelin song included. Yep. Second credits. <laughs> um yeah, I uh, it, it would be like Mother, the Danzig song. Um, but yeah, I think that whatever they're dancing to in Midsommar. Yeah. <laughs> I, I um, I liked once once he explodes them. I liked how that played into things. That kind of helps distract the Mudos from Godzilla. Sure, they go over to check the babies. Like I, I liked how that kind of worked. I, like the setup was weird, but I I, I liked what it accomplished i guess well i think one thing that that helps with me because while i was watching the movie i was going 
you know, our, our humans are trying to be proactive and I appreciate that. Like, I, I do like how the conversations are actively like we're trying to solve the problem. It's not we have a weird Ebert and Roper right. proxy <laughs> that are just like criticizing everyone and not actually getting anything done, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I like that everyone there. <laughs> they was they like, have a Logan Paul are, surrogate. <laughs> right. But like everyone's there saying, OK, how do we solve the problem? And they're actually having discussions about that. But they're not actually doing anything yeah so the whole time i was going i'm it, like the the situation is comp- like we're useless like godzilla is the thing that's going to solve this and maybe that that feeds into the argument of like why is godzilla not in more of this movie because he's the only one that can actually solve the problem but i think the fact that at least aaron taylor johnson's character actually does stuff at the end yeah kind of helped to alleviate that at least a little bit because yeah the whole time i was going I mean, there's one thing if it's like Cloverfield where it's about like people just trying to survive the scenario, but they are actively trying to stop the scenario. Right. And they're completely failing for like the entirety of the movie. Which is why I kind of like the idea of our protagonists not being involved in the problem solving. If you had a protagonist who was just witness to all this. Yeah. But at the same time you create characters that would be in the locations the monsters are at. Um, and yeah, I it's it's a weird thing because on the one hand I go, well, it's a giant monster movie. The humans not being interesting is like not, it's like a half feature, half bug. But at the same time, unless you are literally just going to make the movie only the monsters, the humans have to be something, you have to have something mm-hmm. interesting going on there. And they have a great group of actors, but, like, none of those scenes are that compelling or involving. And it's like, even if I don't come to love and care about these people, there needs to be a little more compelling stuff within the scenes. And there's a scene where, between Kim Watanabe and David Strathairn, which I would, would, so fast would I watch them in a movie together where they have, like, stuff to do. But... Where Kamatsunabe's trying to convince him not to use the nuke. And he pulls out a, a watch that belonged to his dad that stopped because of the, the uh, in Hiroshima, the bombings in Hiroshima. And he he takes that and he says, oh, you know, it stopped on this date. And David Strathairn says, Hiroshima. And there's so much unsaid in that scene. And those two actors are so good. They convinced me that that was a more profound scene with things happening in it <laughs> than were actually happening. And I was like, I I think that th- this is just a testament to how good they are. And I didn't want them to sit there and over-explain it, obviously. But I was like, I think you're just kind of referencing history. Yeah. But the- these guys are adding so much to it. David Strathairn has a, a – there's a shot in this movie where David Strathairn just kind of like half nods. And it like outacted most of the people in the movie. Because <laughs> I just love him and I wish he'd been nominated for Nomadland. Um but yeah, I just I adore that actor. So yeah, I I I I do feel that I wish the humans had been more compelling. But I also have to acknowledge, like, I've watched enough of these movies to know that they're not. But you bring up Pacific Rim; those human characters are compelling. And so, even though that movie spends a lot of time not having giant robots fight aliens, it's consistently interesting because you have like Rinko Kikuchi and Idris Elba running around. <laughs> So, it it is possible. But I had questions about what happens when the Mudo attacks the train. 
because mm-hmm. uh, I don't know what happened. <laughs> because <laughs> it attacks the train, and then it eats what I thought was we were supposed to take away was like the missile or mm-hmm. the the nuclear payload. I, there was like a couple of missiles, but then it leaves the actual bomb on the ground. And I'm very confused as to why it doesn't eat the actual bomb. I have no idea. Was the idea that there were actually multiple bombs? That's what I was trying to figure out, and I don't... Because... No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I, I was having a hard time, because, like I said, I, I was I was a little I was a little bored, so I, I didn't really follow the details as much as I should have. Is the idea that they were able to reclaim one of the bombs... Maybe. ...and that the other one had been eaten by the, the Muto? And, oh, maybe. Like, when it was giving birth or whatever in San Francisco, like, it just like it dropped one of the missiles like the other one and that that's what the military is going to find is that the idea that would make sense yeah you've broken my brain more because now i don't remember how the missile ends up in the the nest no that's what i'm saying like if because the there's swallowed it there's a shot of the helicopter flying the missile over san francisco what happens to that missile I think maybe they arm it there. No. Yes. Maybe? I just remember being horribly <laughs> bored because I didn't care about the military trying to blow it up with nukes. Like, unless yeah. you're trying to thematically do something with that, I did not care. Well, and it's odd because you, the they set up that Aaron Taylor Johnson swaps out the the thing with an analog control system as opposed to an electrical control system because then that will stop the MUTO's EMP powers from activating it um, or like messing it up Uh, so they trigger it and then I think maybe maybe like the MUTO grabs it from helicopter or something I don't really know Um, and then they go and they find it and they get it back out and they take it to the, the coast and try and ship it off and you would think there'd be something there about Aaron Taylor Johnson, the bomb defusal specialist, being like, hey, I'm going to defuse this bomb, and if I don't, lots of people are going to die. Like, you'd, you'd think it'd be something like, oh no, the, 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 the boat got, you know, pushed back onto shore, it's stuck there, all is lost, everyone's going to die, Godzilla's going to die, what's going to happen? Aaron Taylor Johnson has to defuse this bomb. And then he doesn't, he just gets saved, and the bomb explodes, like, 20 miles out to sea. It's odd. And they, they clearly did not learn from Dark Knight Rises, also Warner Brothers <laughs> film from two mm-hmm. years ago. You can't just take a nuclear bomb like a mile and a half yeah. off the coast. <laughs> That's not how that works. Everyone would be vaporized and or uh, radioactive poisoning yeah. and everyone would die or get cancer and then die. <laughs> Maybe that's why these none of these what why Aaron Taylor Johnson's not in the next movie. Yeah. So Kim Watanabe is is in the next one, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I believe is, it's, is anyone else returning I from this? I believe Sally Hawkins. Okay. Maybe Strathairn, but I'm not sure. Okay. Same. Yeah, but I believe Watanabe and Hawkins are still going. Yeah, the this movie is such has such a crazy cast. Like the fact that Juliette Binoche is in this movie is insane. And everybody and I understand it's probably a, largely a paycheck movie for all of them. 
Watanabe may have a different connection with the material being Japanese himself. I mean, they all might. Any of them could. Maybe Sally Hawkins love monster movies. But, like, Julia Binoche is in the very beginning of them. And she's a huge, like, prestige international legend. She's a huge right. deal. And if she were in more of the movie, I'd be like, okay, you just wanted to try something different. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe she was just like, oh, I can just like go and shoot this movie for a weekend, mm-hmm. get a big paycheck, and then go back to making Clouds of Sils Maria, which is a great movie. Um, go see my friend Kristen Stewart. But I I don't know. It's so crazy to me that she's, it's not bad. I like her. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 just wild, the the level of actors that they got for this. Um, and I do think Kim Watanabe would have been a great lead. I think he's awesome, and he's he's. I think he's quite good in this. He spends a lot of the movie with his mouth hanging open, but that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Um. And when he says "let them fight," is mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. It's a genuinely cool moment. But Sally Hawkins is mostly just like repeat or like filling in information that he hasn't said and covering her mouth in shock. Yeah. It's great, and she's great. She's great. I just like you have her right there. Why are you not giving her more to do? Uh. I think our our next film will somewhat remedy these these issues, or at least address them. Yeah. What did you guys think of the the Mudos, just as as monsters, as quote unquote characters for the for our picture? Yeah. 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 They do look a good bit like the Cloverfield monsters sure. mo- monster thing. Uh, which is odd, but I don't know. It, it, it does feel a little weird to me that they didn't try to get, I don't, I don't know what the right situation was like, but it's weird to me that they didn't try to get somebody else from the Godzilla yeah. canon lore, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like it would have made more sense to do that because especially going into the next movie, which leans a lot more heavily into that. Yeah. Um, it's not a choice. Well, I think we'll probably have more to say about it in the next one, but yeah, yeah. Britain, can, can you explain how how the rights to that works? Because I I I'm a little confused myself about that. If there are rights issues, because wouldn't it be like you purchase the rights to Godzilla and you get all the related characters? Um, I I don't know. I don't know the legal. Okay. I I could look into that. I don't know. I just know that they're sort of the big four in those movies, and they are all in. King of the Monsters, but they are also movies that have, they're also monsters that were in their own self-titled movies. Mm. Ah, so okay. they might be, even if they're all owned by, it might be like an X-Men, you know, like, well, Fox just, Fox got X-Men, but they didn't get, you know, Black Widow. So like, right. it may be one of those deals where as they went along, they were negotiating what monsters they, they would and wouldn't have. And, it may even just be a matter of the uh, the rest of the kaiju that have appeared in Godzilla's movies. Maybe the studio were just like, ah, oh, we, we kind of want the main ones and we'll come up with our own. Right. Um, our own designs for the other ones. Um, well, it, it does make me wonder how they made the first Godzilla versus Kong. Right. Because, like, did, did the filmmakers for that just, like, go up to, I don't know if it was Warner Brothers that produced the original. Or I guess it was RKO, right? I would assume. Because the because of the reference in the movie, I don't whatever. Um, but what, did they go up to them and be like, "Give us King Kong"? <laughs> right. We'll give I, we'll give yeah. you five cents. 
Yeah, I'm not sure. And I want to say that one is, is a Japanese movie, so I really, I really don't know. Maybe yeah. they were like, hey, in like 40 years, you can do this with our Godzilla movie, <laughs> and we don't really care what you do. But but that's that that makes sense because if you're treating if all the other monsters in a business sense are like King Kong, where it's like no, it's actually owned by a different studio, where this is just like a one time deal, yeah, then yeah. okay, that makes sense. I, yeah, because because when I think about it, and I'm you know obviously I'm I'm very ignorant to this, but when I think about it, I'm like Godzilla and his amazing friends, right. you know, where it's like all the others are just like supporting players that he fights. Yeah. My, I know that like Mothra and Rodan and Ghidorah, I believe all have their own movies. Okay. Um, and I don't know if they, I, I don't know w- if they were started with Godzilla and then got their own thing or if they got their own thing and then crossed over with Godzilla or if it was like, like I guess with the Marvel thing, America got the rights to use specific characters, but Toho was like, you can't have Anguirus, which is a shame because I would love to see Anguirus. I would, I would bet that there is something going on there. And there's there's no way of knowing this. We couldn't possibly do any research for it. Um, nope. <laughs> I would bet that there's that if there is any rights issues, it's something more along the lines of like the Captain Marvel, uh, original Captain Marvel, mm. where uh, he used to be called Captain Marvel, and then DC bought him, and then like they didn't use the rights correctly, and so then like the Marvel Captain Marvel existed, and kind of became a whole mess where basically actually I don't even know if the Marvel stuff factors into it, but somehow along the way DC lost the rights to call him Captain Marvel, like in his own magazine. Like they, that I think they generally call him Shazam um, in the, yeah. like as far as like the title of the comic, at least. So I, I would want, uh, since that's from like, that's from the same time period uh, sure. before copyright laws were, necessarily as uh cutthroat as they are today and yeah. people are a little more wild with them i would wonder if there's something going that on is like interesting because didn't dc sue whatever company did shazam and they they were just like he's a superman ripoff. yes that's what it is yeah and then they ended up getting him into their their mm-hmm. uh library of characters which is very weird yep Yeah, so I, I really don't know. I, I remember not knowing that the Mudos were going to be in it um, until I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, there are other monsters. Oh, he's going to fight other monsters, um, which is cool, and I, and I like that surprise uh, because I do think that if Godzilla is just a solo pers- monster attacking a city, that's not nece- that, that may not be as interesting unless you have sure. the allegorical element. Right. Um, so... I mean, I guess you can make just about anything interesting depending on who's making it. But. Yeah. Um, I did want to point out one interesting thing I found. So Max Borenstein is the screenwriter for this. He also wrote Kong Skull Island and Godzilla vs. Kong. Oh, cool. So he, he did not do King of the Monsters. But, and I'm definitely giving away my hand here, here are the uh, Rotten Tomato scores for Max Borenstein's work. 76% for Godzilla, 75% for Kong Skull Island, 75% for Godzilla versus Kong. The man is consistent. <laughs> Can't ask for more than that. <laughs> yeah, and I um, I just forgot to mention this earlier. The cinematographer's name is Seamus McGarvey, and he shot Atonement, which is one of my favorite movies. Hmm. I think he also shot Greatest Showman, which is not one of my favorite <laughs> movies at all. Um, but that's okay, Seamus. You made a lot of movies I like. 
I was going to say, I'm going to go into his IMDb and be like, he shot second unit on Batman versus Superman. <laughs> no, I believe he was the head DP for Vanilla Sky. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't think there he, you go. I don't think he was, but how cool would that be? Well, now I'm going to find out. He secretly worked on all of our favorite movies. And also he is, he is the greatest showman. Thread. And also the greatest showman. Which is Joseph's favorite movie? <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Well, yeah, let's make that canon. <laughs> he loves when Hugh Jackman uh, blows up a bridge with Mjolnir. <laughs> Do we have anything else? I love Godzilla so much. Not really. That's I just like saying that. Yeah, do y'all know what you're doing for grades? Uh, he did not do the cinematography for Vanilla Sky, I'm afraid. Shame. Sorry, Seamus. Maybe next time. Maybe in the third, the second remake of that movie. <laughs> um, I am going to give this the exact same grade that I gave um, Gareth Edwards' other work that I've seen. Uh, Rogue One. I'm giving it a C+. Um, there's a lot of really neat stuff on the screen. I just didn't care beyond the first 45 minutes. Uh, in a classic, Except for when Godzilla had the atomic breath. In a classic Here Come the Sequels uh, turnaround, uh, after discussing as if we were on different levels uh, throughout this entire movie, I am also giving this a C+. <laughs> yeah. Mommy! <laughs> and I'm giving it a flat A. Um, I recognize that a lot of that, I mean, all, all of it is sub- subjective no matter what. But this is definitely a subjective one. This movie knows that I like good cinematography, melancholy, <laughs> and giant monsters hitting things. And it gives me all three of those things. There's a lot that it doesn't do or doesn't do as well as I wanted. Um, in terms of actors, it is kind of disappointing in terms of what the actors are able to do. But it does some of my favorite things in movies really well. So it's like. Gosh dang it, every time you do it, you, you you take some things I like and you do them really well. And it's a thing that I care about. And I remember when I first saw it feeling like, however old I was at the time, age Britain is really happy. But the child Britain is very happy too. And and that's a, that's a good feeling to have about a, a property that you love being being redone. Um, so yeah, I just feel really good about it. And other things we feel good about are recommendations. Ooh. I can go first unless one of y'all has something. I got nothing. Same. <laughs> what, cool. what what other Gordon Ramsay show do you want me to say this week? <laughs> um probably his K- kids show. Cake uh, Boss? Yeah, Cake Boss. Alex, talk about Cake Boss. <laughs> talk about Cake see, Boss babies. I did see a clip comparing like how he treats the kids to how he treats the adults. Sure. And and like a, a stove is on fire. And he walks over to the kid and he's like, are you okay? Are you hurt? And here's how you, how you, how you take care of that. And he's like walking him through it. And then the other one, is, he's already mad at the guy and the guy's stove just catches fire. And he's just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then he curses him out. And it's sure. great. And the fire consumes the building. <laughs> what are you um, talking about? Gordon Ramsay just breathes atomic whatever on it. <laughs> Except this time it's green. <laughs> Gordzilla. Mm-hmm. I um, I watched a movie uh, that I would be happy to recommend that is, it kind of is the inverse of Godzilla in that I feel like Godzilla is a movie that's kind of kneecapped by its 
lack of a charismatic lead character, um, but there's a lot of other things that I like. And this is a movie that I think has a very charismatic lead character and is a, ultimately a pretty strong movie, but it does falter. And that is 1984's The Natural, starring Robert Redford. Um, oh, man. Old Babo. It is a movie directed by Barry Levinson, and it is a baseball fable. It's very much a movie fairy tale you know, fable about Roy Hobbs, this middle-aged ball player who comes seemingly out of nowhere and uh, is just amazing. You know, is just the best you could ever imagine. O- only in the movies could a player like this exist. And it is, it's it's a period piece, I, I guess. It's, it's set in like the early days of, of baseball. And America has such an interesting history with, because I think baseball is the sport where you can get away with magical realism almost and this movie isn't magical realism it's just a very good baseball player but like field of dreams angels Mm -hmm. in the outfield america's relationship with baseball is just really interesting to me that we have this very openly romantic relationship with it and that we feel very sentimental about it in a different way than we do with basketball or football and american football (laughs) and this movie is very much a it is a movie and a movie star uh, uh, a vehicle. Um, it's got that kind of yellow sort of milky glow that a lot of movies like this in the 80s and early 90s had. Um, Robert Redford's awesome. I just like him anyway. But in this, you know, when Brad Pitt first came on the scene, he got a lot of comparisons to Redford. And I definitely caught that in this movie from the Redford side. But I also got a little bit of Christopher Reeve in the performance that he was just this like, really good guy who was like no i don't care about the money i just want to be a good ball player and he comes from this like farm out in the beautiful fields and he he built his own baseball bat from a tree that gets split in two by lightning um the the movie very clearly likens him to king arthur in a lot of ways Mm. that i like because i like arthurian legend um it, it is not the arthurian legend told through baseball it is just that that's the allegory i guess in a way not allegory it's a likening but I do think that would be a really good movie. <laughs> that could be very cool, yes. Um, and I was looking very closely to see if this movie lined up with that. But it's um, it's a little lengthy, um, but I, I just had a really good time with it. Uh, the supporting cast includes Robert Duvall, Glenn Close, Richard Farnsworth, Wilford Brimley, Michael Madsen, uh, Kim Basinger. Uh, just a, a ton of actors who I, I wish had gotten more to do, particularly Farnsworth um, and, and Close. But, uh, you know, this movie just really knows how to use Robert Redford's very handsome self and very charismatic self. I think he's really good in it. And it just was I haven't seen a movie like this in a while. That's like, let's just make a movie cinematic fairy tale about baseball and just a good person, just a humble guy wanting to make who's who's the main way to, like, convince him to do things is to talk about how he's affecting like kids and how he's inspiring kids and everything. It's very sweet. And just well done. It's on HBO Max. Uh, it's very bright, so no worries about darkness here. Um, <laughs> and it is called The Natural. So, get there. Also, I think next episode, I think, is going to be our episode that goes up before the Oscars. We're not doing like an Oscar episode this year, mm. because Kong Skull Island didn't win Best Picture. Um, but 
Look, I mean, we already talked about Harley Quinn, and that's going to win all the Oscars. Mm-hmm. That's like, true. Already, it's going to be it's going to be the right end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably not good at your recommendation. I, I'm going to try to mock up a not mock up, but make up a, a top ten list. Um, and it's not going to be like the Joker episode where I just like break down all of them, but I'll probably rattle off my my ten faves, um, all of which I've probably talked about on the podcast at some point. But uh, just a little just a little tease for next week because. It's it's the Oscars, guys, for 2020 and 2021. Oh yeah, all the big ones. War with Grandpa, uh, Scoob, Sonic. No, just kidding. Sonic. There's a lot of great movies up. Mm-hmm. So, big time. Um, I did actually have a recommendation this time. You just uh, said you didn't. I know. This is what happens. I I I forget everything that I watch, and then you guys start bringing stuff up. I'm like, oh yeah, maybe I did watch stuff. Um, also, when it's like a regularly recurring thing, like every week, sometimes I forget that it's. I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> while everyone on Disney Plus is over watching uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and losing their minds over that because hey, that's a good show. Why not recommend the Mighty Ducks Game Changers? <laughs> I'm glad that you like that. I know. I I knew that was a big one for you. Yeah, um, I have a lot of nostalgia for the Mighty Ducks movies, and I don't think it's going to win over any any newcomers. I mean, it's I think it's a perfectly fine, like, family show to watch. Um, but particularly if you have nostalgia for the Mighty Ducks, it's it's worth it. Um, Emilio Estevez is, is really good in it. They do, they do kind of a Last Jedi thing with his character, where, where it's like Luke Skywalker, where he's old and burnt out, and he, he hates the thing that he used to Dr- love. Drinking it's... that blue Powerade. <laughs> and he's astro-projecting into the hockey games. He does spend a, an entire scene complaining about trying to sell coffee, so there is that. Hmm. Or maybe it's hot cocoa. Anyways, hmm. um, it's, I, I don't know, I found it to be quite a bit of fun. It was, I did actually find it kind of funny, and I like all the kids in it, which is also... Pretty pretty neat that it's able to do that. Warren Graham, probably most famous for Gilmore Girls, mm. is in it um, as the other kind of main adult lead, and she's she's really funny in it. I don't know. It's just like it's really nice. It's, it's almost like a warm blanket. It's just yeah. like every week for like thirty minutes. It's like oh, it's a nice bit of nostalgia, and I, I I'm I'm not. It's not it's not super cynical or anything. It's just it's just yeah. a good time. That's and nice. also, they didn't get rid of the Mighty Ducks theme music because I swear to God, I was so afraid that they were going to do that. Well, there you go. Well, yay. Two comfy, cozy wrecks. Sometimes. All right, Tyler. What cynical uh, existential nightmare of a movie from David Lynch did you watch this time? <laughs> One of these days. It's coming. I'm going to recommend uh, the the straight... Oh, the straight story. The straight story. I could not remember the second word to that title. Uh, I haven't even watched it yet, but I'm going to recommend it. I just know it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, uh, you you thought, or you you wanted a No Time to Die. What you really needed was a Mighty Ducks, <laughs> the Game Changers. It's kind of true. <laughs> it really is the Mighty Ducks Game Changers we found along the way. That someone was about uh, to release it, and Barbara Buckley, Barbara Buckley, Barbara Broccoli put her hand over the guy before he could release it and said, wait, this is the movie that America deserves, but not the one it needs right now. <laughs> not until it can make oodles of money off of them. Oodles and um, oodles. I don't have a, yeah, I don't have a recommendation. I've been bad about my film watching game. I've been reading comics and playing Bloodborne, uh, which Time is well good. Spent. I don't know if it's, 
I don't know if it's what one a glowing that, recommendation. Yeah, it's it's not really one that I would like recommend specifically as like, oh, I want to call out because a lot of people think it's amazing and I think it's pretty good and yeah. that's fine. I, I'm not gonna, you know, try and boost that. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll try and eventually have something. Surely at some point I will have more comics to recommend at least. But I didn't realize that the Oscars were this soon, so maybe I need to knock out some of the, the 2020 25th. movies. 2019, 2021 movies that yeah. I haven't seen <laughs> that are eligible. Um, yeah, Hulu's got a couple. My top 10 yeah, is the... No Bad Land 10 times. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I um, I also watched... Hey, can we... When we're Can talking we give about one mo- to Parasite for retroactively, like, yeah. uh, oh, give it we're just going to give him yeah, another sure. one. That sounds good to me. Why yeah. not? Let's go. I did also rewatch Mulholland Drive after mm-hmm. we talked about Naomi Watts, and man, the movie's so good. <laughs> it's still so good. Um, Yeah, just just talking of David Lynch. And Richard Farnsworth, the lead in Straight Story, is in The Natural, and he's really good, and I like him a lot. Very, very sweet actor. Stuntman for 60 years. No, 60, for 30 years or something for a long time didn't know that but yeah you can find us online at here come sequels.blogspot.com you can find us on twitter at hct sequels you can email us at here come sequels at gmail.com or on spotify soundcloud apple music uh apple podcast uh... <laughs> i've been alex <laughs> Oh, I've been Britain. I've been Tyler. And you're you're having a good night. <laughs>